0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. tip Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C., metropolitan area, RIP, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling fantastic. I am RIP roaring ready to go just like my man says and i'm ready to get into it but before i do i want to ask hey man how you doing what's happening how you feeling how you looking how you thinking about life how you going on with your life K passing mi amigos me amo, wendell wallace wendell's world of sports so glad that you could be with us bonjour bonsoir monsieur Mademoiselle, je Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us, shalom, wassalamu Alaikum, my brothers and sisters, namaste and konnichiwa, Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us, I hope that you're doing everything that you need to do to make your world, to make my world, to make our world, to make everybody's world a much better place to be in, living, learning, loving, listening, educating, respecting those all around the globe, those all around the world, those all all around the block, those all around the community doing what you need to do to make this world a better place to be for our children, their children, and their children's children. Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us today on the podcast, man. I'm going to be getting into some NFL talk. I wanted to be getting into a, a little bit of a discussion about the quarterback class of 2021 how they're going to be doing where you see these guys as of right now look i'm not going to be judging i haven't really watched too many of their games i watched a little bit of trevor lawrence when um the Jaguars played the second preseason game against the New Orleans Saints, but other than that, I haven't seen Zach Wilson play, I haven't seen Justin Fields play, I haven't seen uh, Mac Jones play too much, those are the quarterbacks I'm really going to be uh, talking about today, so for the most part, look, I'm waiting for the regular season to start, it's nice that some of these guys are putting up some decent numbers, Trey Lance are putting up some decent numbers, and showing you the reason why their teams drafted them when they did, and where they did in the uh, draft order, so that's great that's wonderful but for me man I'm not really interested in trying to determine how a quarterback is going to do right or wrong good or bad based on a couple of games in the preseason going up against the starters maybe a series and then backups for the rest of the time that they're in the game let me know what happens the first couple of games and then we can go ahead and we can go from there I even used you could say the first six to eight games, depending upon what the team is all about, depending upon the expectations of that team, and depending upon the short and long-term goal of that team, man, I'm not gonna be sitting up here evaluating a first-year guy after a couple of preseason games. I'm definitely not gonna be going ahead and saying bust, not a bust, superstar or whatever after four, six, eight games of the regular season. I mean, sometimes it takes years. It took Josh Allen years to become the quarterback that he was. Sometimes the leap is immediate. Sometimes it takes time. So, you know, each quarterback is different each Situation is different So for me to all of a sudden now Say because Zach Wilson In the preseason has looked pretty good That the Jets have their best quarterback Says Joe Namath Or you know Trey Lance looks like this Or this that and the other Based on a couple of drives he did in the preseason Foolishness not going to get into it I am going to be discussing some of those things But in terms of making a distinct or making a concrete evaluation of what they are as quarterbacks and how they're going to help their team and what their long-term goals and all that kind of stuff gonna save it gonna save it for uh when the time is appropriate but i will be talking about what's happening as far as the expectations for the uh um, first round draft choices uh the first 15 uh first uh quarterbacks taken In the first 15 picks of the NFL Draft So I'm going to get into that Then second uh, segment I got some um, college football that I want to get into College football is back Recording this on a Saturday night UCLA putting a beat down on Hawaii Give it up for Chip Kelly First time as coach for the UCLA Bruins That he's actually won a preseason game So good, good for him Hawaii stinks out loud, but hey, man, you know what? UCLA got that first win in terms of the non-conference. First time in Chip Kelly's career at UCLA, good for them. Saw the uh, Nebraska-Illinois game. Aaron uh, Martinez, still a guy for Nebraska, been around five or six years. He is what he is, a mediocre quarterback who's a pretty decent athlete. Bad, bad beginning for Scott Frost in a year where he's going to have to do something I believe if he wants to uh, be able to continue as coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, even if he brought a lot of prominence and a lot of success when he played there, I mean, we're going into the fourth year now, and now with this loss to Illinois, who really isn't that good, now Scott Frost, you're looking at a 12-21 and 21 record overall at Nebraska, if this continues to go downhill at the end of the season, if they wind up winning four, five, six games, I, I just don't see how Scott Frost can keep his job. And after the way they played today against Illinois, giving away missing extra points and fumble return for touchdowns, uh, after watching that, receivers not being able to get open, Martinez missing wide open receivers, uh, just don't see a future for a bad to mediocre Nebraskan football team being led by Scott Frost. So we'll go ahead and talk about that, go ahead and talk about some of the other things in college football. As always, during my time, in August, when I do a podcast, I want to talk about the Little League World Series, not getting down to the minutiae of the game to game and who's doing what and who's doing this. Gonna be talking about the exploitation that ESPN is shining upon uh, or the partnership they have in exploiting these kids for the Little League World Series. I talk about this every year during this time, and I'm going to continue to talk about it. And then to end the program, I have some thoughts and feelings about where college athletics is going. In terms of the news that I saw the other day Where Imani Bates, uh, a a transcendent possible basketball talent Decided that instead of going to the G League Or going to... uh, play basketball overseas as a professional instead of going to Oregon, instead of going to Michigan State, where he committed to early in his high school career before decommitting. He's going to be going to the Memphis Tigers, going to be playing with Penny Hardaway. Interesting, interesting. So I'm going to get into that and then take a look at the where college athletics are going. These, this is no longer your grandparents, collegiate athletics, sporting events, sports teams, sports... Uh, College sports that we know, it, especially when we're speaking about basketball and football, this ain't your great-grandparents, this ain't your grandparents, this ain't your fathers, this ain't your older brother. Um, College athletics that we're talking about, and especially moving forward, moving into the future now with name, image, and likeness. Man, it's going to be wild and crazy. With the transfer portal, some rules being negated in terms of making it easier now for players to uh, move from team to team, man, wild wild times interesting times for college athletics moving forward forward especially in the most high profile sports in college football and basketball so those are some of the things that i'm going to be talking about today on Wendell's World and Sports was yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Man, let's get into it. Let's get down right into it here. The class of 2021, the quarterback class of 2021 so far, how has it looked when you're speaking about the number one pick in the draft, Trevor Lawrence, drafted by Jacksonville, the New York Jets at number two, selecting Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, the surprise pick at number three for the San Francisco 49ers who moved heaven and earth to get to that position to draft. Trey Lance, uh, number 11, Chicago, drafted Justin Fields out of Ohio State. And then the New England Patriots doing what they needed to do to secure Mac Jones, the 15th pick from the University of Alabama. So those are the quarterbacks that I'm going to be speaking about because When you're looking at the expectations from this class, if you're talking about the evaluations of this class, when you're speaking about long-term for this class, dealing with Lawrence and Wilson and Lance and Fields and Jones, we've got a potential game-changing franchise-leading MVP and Super Bowl-winning quarterback in Lawrence. Generational, great. That's what the prospect is. You have Wilson, who is talking about are talking about he has Patrick Mahomes-type uh, qualities. What exactly does that mean if he has Patrick Mahomes-type qualities? Then we're talking about a guy who's going to be part of the upper echelon of quarterbacks once he reaches a potential. Trey Lance now, this is a guy that people say, because of his physical attributes, this is a guy who might be better than both Lawrence and Wilson. So if we're talking about Trevor Lawrence being a generational great, and we're talking about Zach Wilson having... Patrick Mahomes type ability. What does that mean for Trey Lance? That there's scouts out there who follow this stuff, who know this stuff, who get paid for this stuff, and making evaluations. If they're saying that they're that the Trey Lance has an opportunity to be better than both Lawrence and Wilson after the glowing potential uh, that abounds for Lawrence and Wilson, what does that mean for Trey Lance? Justin Fields, Mac Jones. I think those are two guys that could become quarterbacks, consistent top. At top 6, 8, 12 quarterbacks in the league and still be able to lead their uh, team to uh, championships so it's going to be interesting in about I don't know 12 to 15 years when everything is all said and done when we're looking back in 2036 or we're looking in 2032 and we're talking about the class of 2021 and we're going to sit there and say alright so when everything is all said and done is if these guys reach their reach their expectations The draft class, quarterback class of 1983, 2004, 1998, 1999, 2012. Where does this draft class of 2021 gonna sit? We have Trevor Lawrence being one of the top Quarterbacks of his generation. If we have the New York Jets with Zach Wilson bringing, resurrecting uh, the glory days of the uh, late 60s for the New York Jets, with him being the quarterback and with him being one of the better quarterbacks in the league, Trey Lance, the small town kid, the small town college football playing kid from one of the Dakotas coming in and doing what he does, Um, resurrecting the Chicago Bears, one of the historic franchises in the NFL, Justin Fields, if he can become one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback that ever played for the Chicago Bears in 12, 15 years, what does that mean? And Matt Jones, the last great quarterback for Bill Belichick coming in for Tom Brady and keeping that uh, dynasty or keeping those high expectations of winning afloat. When everything is all said and done and those guys have reached that type of uh, success in their career. Dan Marino, John Elway of 83, Peyton Manning of 1998, uh, that class of 1999 that had Donovan McNabb in those. Where is the class of 2021 for those quarterbacks? Where will they stand? I'm I'm just scratching the surface, man. Really, I'm just speaking about... The easies. I'm just speaking about the layups. I'm just speaking about the 92 mile per hour fastball that Aaron Judge straight down the pike on a three and one count when it comes to Lawrence and Wilson and Fields and Jones and Lance. I mean, what other QBs that have been drafted? this past season when we look back in eight or ten years have a chance to be borderline hall of famers have a chance to be hall of famers had a chance to win mvps had a chance to win super bowls had a chance to make it the multiple all pro games when we're speaking about someone like a davis mills from stanford a kellen mon from texas a&m who was drafted in the fourth round i believe by the minnesota vikings kyle trash from uh, florida jamie newman from Wake Forest Felipe Franks formerly of Florida then transferred over to Arkansas you you know that in this draft class there's going to be one of these guys that were drafted in the second round or the fourth round or the fifth round that in two or three years maybe even sooner is going to get themselves an opportunity to become the starting quarterback for an NFL franchise and have multiple years to get it done because of their play is going to uh, it's going to give them that opportunity so which one of these quarterbacks outside of the five that i just mentioned in terms of lawrence wilson uh lance fields and jones which ones of the quarterbacks that were drafted later on in this draft class is going to be the one that's going to be able to uh have a successful nfl career that's that's part of the fun that is always part of the fun no no one is going to sit there no one said when Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round of the of the draft that he was selected in that, oh yeah, well, the New England Patriots in the sixth round, they just selected the guy that's going to give them six Super Bowls, help them uh, have a dynasty, say Bill Belichick's uh, resume as a coach and legacy as a coach, and go down as possibly, arguably, probably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Yep, Tom Brady, sixth round, New England Patriots, pick number 198. There we go. No one was going to be saying that, right? When, as I mentioned before, I was talking about preseason injuries to quarterbacks in my last uh, podcast when Trent Green, who was supposed to be the guy for the St. Louis Rams when he got hit low in a preseason game by Rodney Harrison and tore up his knee, and everybody was saying, whoa, whoa, whoa was me, because the guy coming in to replace Green, who was supposed to be an integral part of St. Louis getting back to uh, winning championships or competing for championships or being a football team that could compete for championships when Trent Green, the guy that was supposed to be their linchpin for that type of success went down. And then Curtin Warner showed up. Again, when I first heard the name Curtin Warner, I said, Curtin Warner, you mean a running back for the Seattle Seahawks who retired years ago? He's going to be the starting quarterback? He was the backup quarterback for the St. Louis Rams? Man, I know Dick Vermeule is old and reaching back into the past, but that, that, that back, that far back with Kurt Warner, Kurt Warner, we all found out this Northern Iowa pig who was bagging groceries and playing in a European football league, what he turned out to be. So there's always going to be some type of surprise. So while I'm going to be focusing on the expectations and probably the expectation in terms of the positive of what they're going to do and how they're going to uh, build their legacies. When I'm speaking about Lawrence and Fields and Lance and Wilson and Jones, I'm going to be overlooking. I'm going to be ignoring. I'm not going to be talking about some of the other quarterbacks that I just mentioned. Davis Mills from Stanford. I don't even remember what team drafted him, but David Davis Mills from Stanford. Here was a guy who I think he was one of the guys who was just as good as any of these quarterbacks when he was coming into college. But because of injury, kind of derailed his career in terms of the potential that he could have reached while he was, in, while he was at Stanford. But, hey, man, we're talking about a guy who was coached by David Shaw. I mean, here's a guy who came, came from a really good football program at Stanford. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen if he has a chance to uh, learn for a year or two or has an opportunity to get on the field and see what happens during the regular season. So we don't know. We have no idea. So, you know, when we're... If I'm going to have this discussion about the young draft class, because right now, we're, we're at a point right now where, look, if we project four or five years down the road, some of the best quarterbacks that are playing right now, they're not going to be around i.e. Aaron Rodgers, i.e. Tom Brady, we sure? Ben Roethlisberger, some of these guys that are going to be going into the Hall of Fame over the past couple of years. Hey, Peyton Manning has retired. Eli Manning has retired. Philip Rivers has retired. Drew Brees has retired. So now we're starting to usher in a new breed of quarterbacks that are going to be taking this league and seeing what they can do to raise it to even greater heights than these Historic great quarterbacks that just retired, namely Drew Brees and soon to be Aaron Rodgers and possibly Tom Brady. What are these young cats going to do led by Patrick Mahomes? What are they going to do to continue to raise the bar in terms of quarterback excellence? Maybe not reach the type of accolades and type of success that Tom Brady has with seven Super Bowls and counting, but still, I mean, we're looking at someone like a Patrick Mahomes when everything is all said and done is he going to be regarded as one of the greatest of all time? He's on that path right now. So, you know, these are type of these are the type of things that I'm looking at right now. Which one of these quarterbacks, as of right now, is going to be able to fill the roles of the quarterbacks that will soon be retiring, as soon be leaving their prime, both physically and uh, performance wise, as a quarterback, as I mentioned before. You know, which one of these quarterbacks? And this draft class, who I just mentioned, like Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, which one, th- th- this class is going to have someone like a Kurt Cousins or a Russell Wilson or a Tony Romo or a Drew Brees or a Rich Gannon or a Matt Hasselbeck or an Andy Dal- Dalton or, or as far as performance is concerned, before he was um, blackballed from the league, a Colin Kaepernick. None of these guys were high draft picks. Tony Romo wasn't even drafted. Russell Wilson was taken in the fourth round as an afterthought because that was the draft where RG3 and Andrew Luck were supposed to be the two guys that were supposed to elevate the league and be the face of the league in terms of quarterback excellence. Kurt Cousins was a guy who was taken, I believe, in the fourth round by Shanahan just as insurance the same draft that RG3 was taken. Drew Brees was a guy that was selected near the end of the first round. Rich Gannon was a guy who wasn't drafted Who came in and won the MVP And took the Oakland Raiders to the uh, Super Bowl Matt Hasselbeck I believe was a 6th round draft pick Andy Dalton out of the TCU Was supposed to be nothing more than a Backup quarterback And multiple times he took the Cincinnati Bengals To the um, playoffs And was a multiple time Pro bowler Colin Kaepernick was a guy who took the San Francisco 49ers To the Super Bowl And came within a couple of plays Of him being a Super Bowl winning quarterback. So, there's someone in this draft class that as much as I'm done speaking about Lawrence and what's he going to do and how great he's going to be and how many championships he's going to win and how many MVPs he's going to win and Wilson and Lance and all these type of things, there's going to be one of these guys that were drafted way down the pike in the draft that are going to have a better career than some of these guys that I'm talking about now. I don't know if it's going to be Lawrence or Wilson or Mac Jones or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, but there's someone that we're not mentioning that we're not thinking about. And even if we did, we would be like, no way, man. There ain't no way that he's going to be better than this guy. He, there ain't no way that this guy who was drafted in the sixth round is going to be better than Justin Fields, no way is Felipe Franks going to be better than Zach Wilson, no way that uh, Kyle Trask is going to be better than Trevor Lawrence, no way that Calamon is going to be the guy that we're going to be thinking about most, or one of the first couple of guys that come to mind when we think about the draft class of 2021, no way one of these guys is going to do it, stay tuned, live life Make sure you're still around to find out exactly which one of these guys is going to do it. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So when I'm speaking about the class of 2021, Trevor Lawrence from from Clemson, Justin Fields from Ohio State via Georgia, Zach Wilson from BYU, Trey Lance from from South Dakota State, North Dakota State, one of the Dakota State's FCS school. Speaking about Mac Jones, championship winning, national championship winning quarterback from the University of Alabama. Where could these quarterbacks quarterbacks ranks rank when we're speaking about the 2026 season? Where are they gonna be coming in, man? Where will the quarterback situation be at that time? Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, still going to be in his prime at the age of 30. He should by then have won a few more Super Bowl trophies for Kansas City, a few more MVPs, more prominence in commercials. No more, uh, you know, playing sidekick to um, to um, Jake from State Farm and Aaron Rodgers. He's going to have a lot more things to build on his brand, his stature at the face in the most popular sport in the country it's going to be secure so for the year 2026 my estimation my thoughts and my feelings is Patrick Mahomes is still going to be doing his thing now who knows man injuries and everything else could play a role in these things but if we're just going to be projecting from now the 28th of August 2021 to August 28th 2026 I'm going to put my chips. I'm going to put my mortgage. I'm going to put my thoughts and I'm going to put my expertise on the thoughts that Patrick Mahomes is still going to be that guy. And right, not, not next to him, but uh, a little bit down the road in terms of matching his greatness is going to be for the Buffalo Bills. I give you six foot eight country twang Josh Allen, who will only be 30. He'll be widely regarded as the best quarterback in the league, not named Patrick Mahomes, I think, as his Buffalo Bills in Kansas City used to be champions, will play multiple times for the AFC Championship. I think the year that Mahomes, will, when voters get Mahomes fatigue in terms of, man, we can't give this guy the MVP every year, can we? I think someone like a Josh Allen is going to be there to pick up some of the scraps. When Mahomes, and I think he's already got it, when Mahomes starts getting that Michael Jordan treatment, Or that Shaquille O'Neal treatment where it's like, man, you know what? Basically, we could give this guy, LeBron James treatment, we could give this guy the MVP every single year if we wanted to. He's that good. But... You know, his statistics last year wasn't as great as it was, or this year wasn't as great as it was last year, and he might have missed a couple of games, and out of nowhere, this other quarterback came in, and he had a real good story, and I can't believe what he's doing, and this, that, and the other, and, you know, what's Patrick Mahomes going to be doing, throwing for 4,800 yards, 45 touchdowns, four interceptions, and Kansas City's going to have a 13-4 and record. Been there, done that. Josh Allen is going to be the guy where it's like, damn, this guy, man, this guy threw for over... Over 5,000 yards and Buffalo's right there with Kansas City, who we all thought was going to be one of the best teams in NFL history because of all the talent that they have coming back with head coach Eric B. Enemy taking over the reins from a retiring Andy Reid. And Josh Allen comes out and does this and does that and keeps the Bills in distance in sightseeing distance of getting to the uh, Super Bowl. A story like that is going to propel Josh Allen to win a couple of more or a couple of uh, MVPs. I think Deshaun Watson in the year 2026 will remain an elite quarterback playing for Brian Flores in the Miami Dolphins. I think Deshaun Watson, despite the fact that he's a little bit creepy when it comes to those uh, massage therapists, I think he's going to win an MVP. And I think he's going to get to an opportunity. He's going to get an opportunity to play in a conference championship game and even make it to. A Super Bowl. I think someone like a Justin Herbert. As I'm breaking down some of the great quarterbacks here for 2026, projecting here on Wendell's World and Sports the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. I think Justin Herbert is going to be a guy that's going to be gr- regarded as an elite quarterback in this league and have the opportunity to go ahead and uh, play for championships and be a rival. Have the uh, have the uh, Los Angeles Chargers be a respectful rival. To Kansas City and the AFC West Depending upon Denver and who's playing Quarterback for them and if some of their Skill players can remain the same In terms of their uh, Talent and their expectations uh, Moving forward but Herbert by that time, he's going to be 28 years old, so he'll be right smack dab in the middle of his physical and mental prime. Joe Burrow, at the age of 29, I think he's going to be a top-eight quarterback and have Cincinnati competing in the AFC North for division championships against top-12 quarterbacks at that time. Baker Mayfield, who's going to be 31 years old, and Lamar Jackson, who's going to be 29 years old, to still be one of the elite quarterbacks Quarterbacks who are right now in their prime and still being able to play in five years, even though they'll probably be be in their mid-30s and such, guys like Dak Prescott or either early or mid-30s, guys like Dak Prescott, guys like Jameis Winston, guys like Russell Wilson, don't sleep on Kyler Murray either. Once Cliff Kingsbury is gone and they get a real pro coach in there, it'll be interesting to see how they take care, how they take advantage of Kyler Murray's skill set. I still think that he's going to be a really good quarterback. And as I mentioned before, the current quarterbacks who are still thriving, who will have retired by then, Tom Brady, I think, I mean, the man will be 50, right? I mean, don't we think he'll be retired by then? Maybe? Possibly? Probably? Maybe? Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, Cam Newton, Matthew Stafford, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Matt Ryan, those guys will be gone, and current uh, quarterbacks, who I think... Are starters now, but will be backups by then. The younger group of quarterbacks who are getting their opportunities now, but will in the end by 2026 probably be backups. I'm thinking about Daniel Jones. I'm thinking about Drew Lock, who's already backing up Teddy Bridgewater. I'm thinking about Kirk Cousins. I'm thinking about Ryan Tannehill. I'm thinking about Derek Carr, Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz, Tua Tungaviloa, Sam Darnold. I think those guys. Who are right now starting? I think when everything is said and done, I think those guys are probably going to be backups by the time the 2026 uh, season rolls around. And you know, look, this is not even as I mentioned before. There's quarterbacks that we don't even know about right now that by 2026 could be, you know, right there in terms of being one of the better quarterbacks in the league, like a Quinn Ewers. Who's a freshman at Ohio State, Spencer Ratliff? Who's a Heisman Trophy favorite for Oklahoma, Arch Manning and Malachi Nelson, high school class of twenty twenty three, who are supposed to be really, really good. Arch Manning, the bloodlines related to Peyton and 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 and, and that in that clan, so you know he's got some talent there. So, all of those things will be playing into the discussion of man, where will the quarterback class of twenty twenty one fit? ...during this time. Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville, named the starter this week. think when we, when we speak about Trevor Lawrence, next generation type of guy. I think when we speak about old school pocket passers. When we speak about, look man, you know, I think that he's cut from the same cloth... ...when you're speaking about uh, Trevor Lawrence. The same um, tree as a Dan Marino, a Peyton Manning, a Tom Brady... ...an Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger type... I think Trevor Lawrence is the next generation, old school, pocket passing type of guy. Like if Dan Marino played in the season 2025-26, 20, he would look and play like Trevor Lawrence. Same thing with Peyton Manning. Same thing with Tom Brady. You know how we always say with Luka, like if imagine for those who never saw Larry Bird play. Okay, if Larry Bird was playing in today's NBA, what would he look like? He would look like Luka Dantich. You know, playing uh, in today's game. I think that if you take a look at Marino and Peyton Manning, of those guys, what will those guys be the year 20, 24, 25, 21? They would look, they would play just like Trevor Lawrence, a guy who fits the prototypical size of what a starting quarterback should look like, your traditional Starting quarterback Your traditional NFL starting quarterback Should look like 6 feet 6 220 pounds But look man this guy has speed This guy has agility When was the last time someone that big Had that type of skill As far as athleticism is concerned If you saw Trevor Lawrence played for the University of Clemson's football team. So this preseason, he's thrown 35 touchdown passes. We've thrown uh, 35 completions on seven of seven, and 11, 11 drills on practice. And the two preseason games against Cleveland and New Orleans, he's completed 20 of 32 passes for 184 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He looked kind of, um, I guess, I saw the game against New Orleans, so from the little that I saw of him against the Saints, he looked, him and the offense looked a little awkward and clunky. You know, it's kind of like something where it's like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. They're, you know, we don't know what kind of coach Urban Meyer is going to be, so we, we, when everything is said and done, I, I think once, you know this experimentation with the college coaches over, and we can get Trevor Lawrence some real coaching and some real NFL coaching and such. I think if Jacksonville doesn't destroy this guy, I think he has. I think he's going to be a legit top tier quarterback in about four or five seasons. I really do. I think when the 2026 season rolls around, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be right up there with the Mahomes and the Allens and the uh, Deshaun Watsons and the Prescotts and the. Um, Russell Wilson and those guys. When we speak about best quarterbacks in the game, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be that good. Again, if if Jacksonville doesn't ruin him, then uh, I think he has that type of talent. Wendell's World of Sports, same to what the Indianapolis Colts did with Andrew Luck. I still thought, I still think that Andrew Luck could have been a great quarterback, but you put him in a bad organization like the Indianapolis Colts, and we see what happens. Andrew Luck is running around the state of colorado doing you know being the scout team quarterback for high school football team so you know i hope that doesn't happen to Trevor Lawrence. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us Zach Wilson, cut from the same mold, I would say as a Darren Rogers, a Brett Favre, a mobile quarterback a gunslinger, a Patrick Mahomes type of uh, ability as far as physical abilities is concerned haven't watched too many of the highlights for Zach Wilson, but from what I've been reading, everything the Jets wished he would be, hoped that he would be, he has come through as far as uh, impressing the coaches with his is tangibles and intangibles, his quick release arm strength, excuse me, arm strength, poise and work ethic. In fact, Coach Robert Sala said that he's light years ahead of normal rookies when it comes to preparation and study habits. So going into week one, you know, Zach Wilson is going to be the starting quarterback through two preseason games, 191 yards, 15 to 20, 75%. Not bad, not bad. Two touchdowns, no turnovers. All right. All right, I still haven't seen the highlights where he's making Patrick Mahomes-type physical quality type of uh, throws or plays, but and he's doing this against second-tier, third-tier defenses, but hey, man, when you're the New York Jets and you've been through Richard Todd and all these other guys who've been quarterback, Bubby Brewster and Neil O'Donnell and such, hey, man, any news is good news. Any side of a competent quarterback, especially when you're speaking about one as physically gifted and talented as zach wilson i can see why the Curdy b new york jets fans are uh you know getting excited now i'm not saying that you need you guys need to go out and start dancing in the street like martha and the vandellas are dancing on the ceiling like Lionel richie but uh you know there's some hope and maybe hope will you know bring you to the ceiling and start dancing like Lionel richie wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us trey lance no decision yet In terms of what he's going to be As far as opening day Starting quarterback According to ESPN's Jordan Schultz He reported this on Thursday He said There's growing buzz buzz, There's growing buzz Inside NFL circles That Lance should start over Jimmy Garoppolo And that Schultz said He spoke with two executives Two coaches And one scout Who all believe That the rookie Gives the 49ers A better chance to win Than the veteran Interesting Because For most Of a situation You would think of When you're speaking about Trey Lance and so little experience that he has, just playing football in terms of the college and now pro level, that it would behoove the 49ers to go ahead and at least sit him for at least one season and let him, you know, just get acclimated again. But, you know, these guys are talking about he gives the 49ers a better chance to win already over someone like Jimmy Garoppolo who took the 49ers to a Super Bowl a couple of seasons ago. That's really interesting. If you take a look at some of these guys who were, you know, who were quote-unquote not ready to play, who might have come from a small school or a different uh, way of playing football and would have to get themselves accelerated to how a prototypical NFL quarterback would be. Speaking of Steve McNair, who hardly played his first season with the then-Houston Oilers, you're talking about uh, Michael Vick, who didn't play that much. You're speaking about Carson Palmer, who for the Cincinnati Bengals missed the entire year. Uh, Because John Kitna was the starting quarterback and Carson Palmer learned that way. You're speaking about one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Aaron Rodgers, who missed multiple seasons learning from uh, Brett Favre before getting his opportunity to uh, start and play for the Green Bay Packers and start building his Hall of Fame resume. The fact that Trey Lance already, after only 17 games played over the past two seasons at an FCS level, is already at the level to where he is a better candidate at quarterback than someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo who studied and learned under Tom Brady and had the experience of taking his team to the Super Bowl. That's pretty remarkable. I don't know if it says kudos and applause and hip-hip parades hip for Trey Lance or side rolls and what the hell are you doing and head shakes, nods, and disappointment for Jimmy G. Garoppolo. So, Interesting. Very, very interesting. But look, Lance measured nearly six feet four, 224 pounds. I mean, this was a guy, again, based on his physical attributes, the way that he throws the ball, the fact that he worked under center, which was a big deal for the 49ers when they decided to make the move to mortgage their future to move up to get this guy. If you remember, Fields and Jones and Lawrence and Wilson and those guys mainly played in the shotgun spread formation. Trey Lance, even though it was limited because of COVID canceling the season this past year and then him playing again only 17 games the year or playing 17 games the year before, he played those games under center. So he's already further ahead in the nuances and the expertise it takes from being a quarterback under center than it would be from a shotgun spread formation. So... Look, in the preseason, he's 13 for 28, 230 yards, had an 80-yard pass against the, uh, oh, I forgot who their first preseason game was, but uh, 13 for 28, 230 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, one rush for eight yards, and when I was taking a look and taking a listen, listen, he's been sacked six times in two games, but the main thing that Shanahan was talking about with uh, Young was the fact that, you know what, he, A, played much better in the 49ers' second preseason game against the L.A. Chargers. Chargers, And the thing that garnered the respect and the attention and the okay from his players and coaches and such is the fact that against the Chargers, he started off shaky. But mentally, it didn't get him down. He didn't seem flustered. He didn't seem rattled. He didn't seem like he was going to start forcing or rushing things. And after that shaky start against the uh, L.A. Chargers, he finished the night completing eight of fourteen passes for 102 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Found his groove and led two scoring touchdown drives in the 34 snaps. So we're speaking about from a mental standpoint. Look, man, he's you know he's got that mental toughness that you're going to need as far as being a quarterback in the NFL, and 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 that's one thing that when we're speaking about Jimmy Garoppolo as a starting quarterback, that he's not been praised for that has not been one of his stronger attributes so interesting very very interesting it'll be five years either he's going to be an elite quarterback or he'll be a backup or out of the league I think that's the I think that's the (laughs) that's the floor ceiling I think he has a I think he has a lower floor and a higher ceiling I think than any of these other quarterbacks and I I, I think I say that because of the story of where it came from You you know FCS football to being one of the better quarterbacks is a more juicy, more inspiring more interesting story than someone like Trevor Lawrence who was the greatest football player ever seen ever since he was about 12 years old or something like that so that's the whole deal with Trey Lance and again everything that Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch they had to do to uh, mortgage their future to get Trey Lance in the fact that look man if this doesn't work in all actuality Mike, uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch They're gone If this doesn't work So this is a huge huge deal So if this is a boom deal Then it's a much interesting Much better story Than someone who was a generational talent Who was supposed to be a generational talent And, and Trevor Lawrence And doing what he's supposed to be doing Even if he turns out to be even if he matches the hype, it's like, well, yeah, of course he matches the hype. He's been, this is what he's been pegged for since he was a sophomore in high school. So yeah, did you see him in college? Yeah. So what's the big deal here? I think the Trey Lance story has bigger legs for going down the road. When you're also speaking about what story are we going to tell to those to try to get more fans to watch the NFL? Yeah, Lawrence, the big, strong, good-looking white guy with the blonde hair, all that and the other, that looks great. He's a guy guy of high quality character and high quality and all those things but as far as the story is concerned as far as success is concerned if they both make it and reach their potential and expectations i think the juicier the more interesting the more inspiring the more made for a hollywood type of film would be the trey lance story wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us hello justin fields holy sid luckman batman this preseason relied on his legs to move the chains sprinkling a small collection of impressive downfield strikes look in his first preseason season where in his first preseason game where he said you know what this is this this NFL thing is a lot slower than i thought it would be where he went 14 for 20 i think he threw for 140 yards or something like that his completion percentage mixing in the 9 for 19 and the in the um, hit where he got lit up because he didn't call the right protection against Buffalo so you had the highs of highs and you had the lows of lows his completion percentage is 59% his yards per attempt is somewhere around 5.5 which is average at best so look I mean you know we can sit here and when Andy Dalton walks on the field for Chicago start chanting we want Justin we want Justin and have Justin walk onto the field and Chicago fans greet him like he's the second coming of CM Punk, that 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 might be fine and everything, but you know let's kind of temper our expectations as far as what Justin Fields can do. And Mac Jones played 70 snap, 77 snaps over two preseason games, f- 26 of 38, 233 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. His preseason drive so far, he started off with 10 plays, 70 yards, and a touchdown. 9 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. 17 plays, 91 yards touchdown. Remember, this is all going against maybe guys who are probably not going to be on the team once the season starts, I mean, for the opposition, or they're not going to be in prominent roles. So take these drives and take the success for Mac Jones with a grain of salt. 10 plays, 70 yards, 9 plays, 75 yards, 17 plays, 91 yards, all three touchdown drives. Punt, 13 plays, 53 yards, field goal, punt. 10 plays, 43-yard field goal. So, it's going to be interesting. I think when everything is all said and done, just like Andy Dalton's going to be the starter for the Chicago Bears when the season starts, Matt Nagy had doubled and tripled down on that. Also, with um, Bill Belichick, I just think that he feels a little bit more comfortable. And I mentioned this before in my last podcast. As far as with Cam Newton starting, despite the fact that Andy Dalton, excuse me, that Mac Jones have had success think of the situation that uh, Bill Belichick just feels a little bit more comfortable with a guy who has been knowing the new England Patriots way now going on. This is the second season. He's a veteran, the accomplishment that Cam Newton has had. I think before the, the, the kerfuffle, kerfuffle with the COVID and everything like that in the game against the Philadelphia Eagles that Newton showed enough going eight of nine for 103 yards that he showed enough to where Belichick and offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels have faith in him that he can go ahead and do these things. So I think Matt Jones um, will get an opportunity because I don't know how long the success of Cam Newton can last, not only just being able to play quarterback, but also staying healthy. So, I think somewhere down the road, depending upon what the uh, New England Patriots record is, also, they traded Sony Michelle. Their defense is going to be strong. Don't know about the wide receiver position, so they're going to have to rely on their defense a lot to win games. I don't know if we're going to be looking as far as the Mac Jones, Cam Newton dynamic of that team. Is it going to be something similar to, to what Brian Flores was doing last season with Ryan Fitzpatrick and then Tua Tunga Vailoa? We don't know. It'll dictate, of course, Belichick will say on how well those guys are playing the position, how well Cam Newton is playing the position, how much Cam Newton is contributing to the success or failure of the New England Patriots, but we'll see. So, so far, he looks, man, I think when everything is all said and done, as I mentioned before, Mac Jones, Justin Fields are gonna be quarterbacks who are gonna be starters for playoff teams if they reach their potential. Uh, wildcard being Trey Lance, I think that he's either going to be in the league quarterback or he's going to be out of the league. Trevor Lawrence, I think it's going to be a generational talent because of the size and the skill and his character and everything like that. If Jacksonville doesn't waste this opportunity, starting on the wrong foot with the offensive coordinator and the coach that they have now, but there's still plenty of time to rectify that situation if they realize their mistake a couple of years down the road. And then Zach Wilson, again, with his physical skills he will have an opportunity again to have the New York Jets be competitive for um, success moving down the road. So there you go, man. I'm excited to see the season get started. I'm excited to see what these young quarterbacks do. And uh, yeah, man, Bob McAdoo, see what we can do. Yabba Dabba do Fred Flintstone, take me on home, I'm going to a break. It's not too late. Wendell's World and Sports, play the music, please. <laughs> World in sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hello, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us, talking about what's happening in the world of sports. K possibly amigos. Me, I'm a Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom, wassalamu alaikum, Konnichiwa everything else in between what is going down what is happening man I wanted to sit here and talk about some college uh, football I really did and I did in the first um segment of the program talk about some things as far as Nebraska going down to Illinois UCLA beating up on Hawaii you got Fresno State beating up on Yukon 45 to nothing and then of course New Mexico State losing to UTEP 30 to 3 That's nice, and that's fine. That was a nice little appetizer. I guess you can say this is, what, week zero of the college football season. Then in earnest, it starts for the Labor Day weekend. Interested. Looking forward to it. Today was all right. Today was was fun. Today was a good appetizer. But as I mentioned before, man, Wednesday, you have UAB versus Jacksonville State. If you want to see that game, 730 Eastern Standard Time on ESPN, you can do that. But Thursday, which is interesting because Thursday – When you're speaking about the start of the football season, all right, I like that. I like that a little bit. At four, excuse me, at 7 p.m. If you have ESPN Plus, you can watch number 22 ranked Coastal Carolina. They'll be at home against the Citadel. Pac-12 Network at 7:30. You have Utah, ranked 24th in the country, at Weber State. You can go ahead and watch that game. And then you've got number 25 Arizona State at Southern Utah. That game also. On the Pac-12 Network, that game is going to be 10:30 Eastern Standard Time, 7:30 out here Pacific West Coast Time. Other than that, some uh, other than that, that's about it. When you're speaking about ranked games, but then you go to Friday, and you have a couple of pretty good games. Not really. Let me see. I'm taking a look at the schedule. Number 10. Uh, North Carolina at Virginia Tech. The game is going to be at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. Talked about all of those things in terms of some of the importance of what those games bring. For instance, North Carolina ranked number 10 in the country after a strong start. I mentioned before, if you're one of the woeful teams in the NFL, if you're a fan of one of the woeful teams in the NFL and you're looking like, man, we need to get ourselves a quarterback, how are we going to get our quarterback? Where are we going to get our quarterback? Who are we going to draft as our quarterback? Who's the next Justin Fields, who's the next Trevor Lawrence, who's the next Zach Wilson. Well, a candidate for one of those teams, especially if you're speaking about somewhere in between five and 12, is Sam Howell, the quarterback for North Carolina. He's supposed to be the guy that's supposed to be one of the Heisman Trophy uh, favorites and one of the first round draft picks early in the uh, in the NFL draft for it next season. So, if you're one of those sorry-ass teams in the NFL who needs a quarterback, you might want to check out Friday's game between North Carolina and Virginia to see what happens. Virginia Tech, I might add, to see what happens. So, yeah, you have that. And then Saturday, of course, that's where all the fun starts, where you have Penn State at Wisconsin, where you have Fresno State playing Oregon, where you have my Alabama playing Miami, where you have Indiana playing Iowa, where you have Miami of Ohio playing uh Cincinnati. Where you have Louisiana playing Texas, where you have, um, of course, the game of the week of the season, number five, Georgia, and number three, Clemson. So, yeah, man, next Saturday is going to be the bee's knees in terms of watching football. You have a break on uh, Sunday where the only game you have at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time is Notre Dame and Florida State. And then that Monday for Labor Day, that's when you can go ahead, take your vacation, go ahead, take your honey boo, go ahead, take your husband, take your kids and everything like that. Go ahead and do what you need to do because after labor day and that thursday the nfl regular season starts as i mentioned and i mentioned time and time and time again that should be your time to say hey what man you know what saturdays and sundays it's all about football if you kind of like that if you love your wife more than you love football then you know you can take you can go ahead and say i don't need to be watching 12 hours of football don't know what excuse what reason that could be but yeah there you go so it's all set i'm gonna make this segment a little bit short was gonna be speaking about realignment but I, i've got i've got more time for that i'm not gonna be bashing the sec for what they did i already talked about texas i already talked about oklahoma leaving the pack leaving the uh, big 12 what are they gonna do all spoke about all those things in my previous podcast so i'm not gonna to get too down on that um this podcast so We're going to make this segment short because I want to go ahead and get to my next topic. So, yeah, college football starting. Hip, hip, array. Can't wait. This weekend is going to be great. Not too late. Go ahead, man. Hit the music. Mm Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. That's what I want to say when it comes to ESPN and the Little League World Series. Not the Little League World Series, but the ESPN showing these games, showing all of these games, with the way the game is directed, the way the game is produced. Hit the road, Jack, and please, don't you come back no more, no more, no more. That's what I say, just like Brother Ray, hit the fucking road, man. I do this every year, I do this every August, thank you very much for having me, the ability for me to get this off my chest, thank you very much for your patience and your understanding, but it really bothers me and I want to say something about this, man. First of all, I want to say, look, this has nothing to do with the Little League World Series itself, absolutely, positively nothing. I love the concept of the Little League World Series. Absolutely love it. Been around since 1947, so we're speaking about, uh, what, 74 years? I hope this shit goes on for another 74 generations, man. I think it's absolutely fantastic for what they do. Absolutely. Bringing 10 to 12-year-olds from all over the world playing in this tournament, I think it's fantastic. I love it. Absolutely love it. The eight regional tournament winners, which through 2021 complete, Competed in the uh, racist, ignorant, divided, selfish states of America bracket of the Little League World Series, as well as the states those regional champions could possibly come from. When we're speaking about the New England Territory of Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Vermont, the Mid Atlantic, which is Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, D.C., Delaware, the Midwest, which is the North Dakotas, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Minnesota, Iowa. Missouri, the Great Lakes region, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, Wisconsin, the South uh, Southeast region, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, the Southwest region, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, East Texas, West, West Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, then the Northwest of Arkansas, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and then the West, which is Nevada, Arizona, Utah, Northern California, Southern California, and Hawaii. And they compete in those divisions to see who are going to go to the Little League World Series. And then they compete against the international teams, which is in the international bracket, which are Asian, Pacific, and Middle Eastern teams, Australia, Canada, the Caribbean teams, Europe, and African teams. Japanese teams, Latin American teams, and Mexican teams. So the eight divisions which compete in the racist, selfish, ignorant, divided, selfish states of America bracket represent 96% of the players in Little League with over 2.2 million players, while the eight divisions in the international bracket present percent represent 4% of the Little League or less than 130,000 players, which is to say this. I absolutely love it. Anytime, anytime you have the opportunity to get that many kids from that many different places in this world, from that many places here in this country, anytime you can get those kids together and have them go ahead and they form relationships and they form friendships. Sometimes it can be lifelong and we can get people from different parts of this country, different places, different ethnic backgrounds, all of these things. Whenever we can get them together, into one place, we're playing a game of baseball-friendly competition, this, that, and the other, and we can get them to learn from each other, to talk to each other, and all those type of things. For the younger generation, I want it. I love it. I need it. We've got to have it. It's important not just to this country, but to this screwed-up, intolerant world that we live in. I want to see folks from the Caribbean and from Japan from Japan and the and Thailand and in Vietnam and all these places. I want to see these kids mingle with each other. I want to see these kids from different ethnic backgrounds and different different parts of the world. I want to see these kids get together and talk to each other and become friends because it's so natural. When you're speaking about 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old kids, man, 13-year-old boys and girls, the friendships that are formed are natural. They're organic. There's no silliness. There's no altruistic reasons behind it in terms of there's there's no underhandedness for these form, for these relationships to happen. Pure, wholesome, and that's what we need, and that's what the foundation, that's what the basis should be about, in the attempt to turn this lousy, stinking, intolerant, racist, oppressive world. Around when it comes to a uh, certain group of people. Look, I get it. I understand it, man. I live in the dumbest country in the world. All right, so I get it. I understand it. My generation, the generation before me and the generation after me, it's too late for us. Too late for me, too late for us to completely understand. And completely unify, completely do the things that I want, that we need to have this country, to have this world be the place that I want to live in if I was going to live another 60, 70, 100 years. If I was going to be in this world in the year 2075 or the year 2116 or the year 2044 or the year 2218, if this world is still living, if this world is still around by that time, I want my... I want the generations that are gonna be living, that are going to be ruling, that are going to be governing, that are gonna be in the society at that time. I want them to take a look back at the history books. I want them to take a look back at the video packages. I want them to take a look when they're in school and they're learning about what happened back in the 21st century, back in the year 2020, back when I was living, back when I was doing my thing. I want those generations to take a look at the intolerance and the ignorance and the privilege and the lack of common sense and the stupidity and the divisiveness and everything that goes along with it I want those kids in the year 2066 in the year 2101 in the year 2113 I want them to take a look at those history books I want to take a look at what I want those kids to take a look at what's going on right now take a look at each other and say wow those were some really dumb motherfuckers you're going to try to tell me that all this stuff is happening because of a color of a man's skin or because of their sexual preference or because of their political affiliation or because of their religious beliefs, all of this hate, all of this uh, angst, all of this anger, all of this destruction in the world was because of that nonsense back in the day? Ooh, thank God we're not doing that right now. Thank God we have progressed, we have grown, we have learned, we have matured as a nation, as a world, as a country, as humanity to get to a point where none of that stuff, for the most part, is uh, permeating our everyday lives. Just like now when we look back 100 years ago in this country and we're thinking to ourselves, man, really? Or 150 years ago, 200 years ago in this country and we're thinking about, really? Then they actually have black folks working, picking cotton and doing all that bullshit for free? Really? Slaves? Really? We really had women doing this type of shit? Women back in the day couldn't do this, they couldn't do that? Really? We had concentration camps for Asians because of uh, the decision that uh, President Roosevelt made during World War II, really, we went there. We were going there. We treated people that that way, really. Now there's a certain portion of our country who still believes in that bullshit. But you know, slavery cannot be happening in the uh, year 2020. Thank goodness. You know, p- putting black people to work, putting Hispanics to work, putting Asians to work, putting women to work, and treating them like they did back 150, 200 years ago doesn't fly. Took us a long way to get there, but Jim Crow is dead, and some other things are dead in terms of legalized um, of laws being placed in this country. Even though Republicans in some states are trying their best to try to go backwards in that direction, but that's what I'm saying, man. This Little League World Series that we're doing right now, the concept of itself is going to be helping that move. That's the only thing, man. My my generation is we're long gone, we're lost. We need to concentrate love, unity, harmony, understanding, education on them young folks. And I'm telling you something right now. We could be the stupidest, racist, ignorant bunch of adults that we could and try to permeate that and try to tell that try to educate that ignorance to our kids. But I'm telling you right now, if they're around people in the Little League World series and they're speaking and they're talking and they're listening and they're learning and those friendships and those relationships are being formed organically them 10 11 12 year old kids are going to look at us and say what are really people from the middle east are like this that and the other black people from the south are like this that and the other white folks from the north are like this that and the other asian folks from uh, the asian countries are like this that and the other these these ignorant stereotypes that us adults try to shower down on our kids they're going to take a look at us like we're crazy and be like, what are you talking about, man? I've just been at Williamsport. You're talking about Asian people being this, that, and the other, man. I've formed friends with kids on the um, team from Taiwan and team from Japan, and they're nothing like what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. And vice versa. Kids going back to Europe, they can say, man, you know what? You know, America's supposed to be, you know, this place where, you know, they have racism and ignorance and all those type of things. Maybe in the adults... But, man, I've you know, what you're teaching me about America is not true because I went over there, participated in the Little League World Series and met some folks from Connecticut, met some folks from Chicago, met some folks from um, Henderson, Nevada, met some folks from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and uh, all that shit you're telling me about Americans wasn't applying to those kids because I have great friends now. I have wonderful times of those times that I had in Williamsport and the kids that I met, so... Hey, look, man, you know, I, I I, want to start off by saying, look, whenever I talk about the exploitation of these kids in the Little League World Series, it's not the concept itself. And again, I hope the thing goes on and on and on because to move forward in this society, we need it. But damn, man, when you're speaking about, when you're talking about, you know, the way this, these kids are being shown, the way these kids are being when they're on the field and such, the interviews and all this kind of stuff, the features and all that kind of stuff, I'm just not digging it, just not into it, and to me, it's exploitive. I'm sorry, it is. No 12-year-old, no 10-year-old, no 11-year-old should be, uh, should be singularly interviewed like that. Never. Kids 10, 11, 12 years old. They only not need Carl Ravage and Eduardo Perez and Jessica Mendoza up there talking about them. Nah, man, nah, let's them kids have them fun. You don't need it to be televised. I don't want to hear the interviews from the parents. Don't want to hear the interviews from the coach. No, I don't want to hear that bullshit. We don't need that bullshit. Why do we need that bullshit? Oh, because it's an entertainment show. And what goes on with entertainment, right? Which means that if a kid makes a mistake, if a kid does something that might cost their team a, a, a game or something like that, you know that these producers, you know that these television directors put, put the camera, camera four, get ready, put the camera right on him and go to the time where he's crying now. You know, they're, they're going to try to do the tearjerker. They're going to try to do the, the, I don't, I don't want to see a 10 or 11, 12 year old crying ever, ever. So why are we going to go ahead and do that now? What, for? because it's a TV show, because of entertainment value? What's entertaining about that? What's entertaining about watching the Little League World Series anyway, for the most part? Damn, I can barely stand watching a regular Major League Baseball game. What the hell do I want to watch a bunch of 10, 11, 12 kids play baseball? Or basketball? Or football? Or hockey? Or tennis? Or karate? Or anything? I mean, you know, I mean... Why? Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to do this anyway? Have them kids go over there, have some fun. If you want to do a thirty thirty on some of the relationships that were formed, some of the unique relationships that were formed from the different kids from all over the world, or for all over, from all over the country. Hey man, knock yourself out and do it that way. You know, comment on that. But I, I don't need to see these kids play ba- baseball. I don't need to see the close-ups of these kids when they uh, make a mistake. I don't need to see the emotions that they show uh, of sadness and sorrow during all of this. I, I just don't. I mean, as parents, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how I would react, man. If my wonderful, beautiful, awesome, fabulous, talented gorgeous sydney davis my wonderful goddaughter if she was playing softball or she was playing baseball for the little league world series back when she was 10 11 12 13 years old hey man let me tell you something me and her father i mean it'd be like hey look man you know um if she makes an error or something like that we would go up to the uh tv director who's ever you know is in charge of this game as far as the television is concerned We would go up to him and say, hey, look, man, let me tell you something right now. If my daughter makes a mistake or something like that, and you're trying to capture the moment of her being down or sad or something like that and put the close-up on her when she makes a mistake, let me tell you something, man. Did you you ever see the movie Casino? Did you ever see the movie with Joe Pesci where the banker was in Sam's residence and he came in through the back door and he went upstairs and he said, hello, Mr. Clark, how you doing? You know, I've been trying to call you all week. You're harder to get to than the Pope. So he asked for his money back and uh, the guy was like, what are you going to do, strong arm me? And Nikki kind of said to him, you know what, I don't think you, you know, let me, I don't think you understand me. I think in all fairness, I should tell you that exactly it is what I do. Like, for instance, I'll get up in the morning and I'll go to the bank and I'll go in and see you. And if you don't have my money, I'll crack your fucking head wide open in front of everybody at the bank. And just about the time I'm coming out of jail, hopefully You'll be coming out of your coma. And guess what? I'll split your fucking head wide open again. Because I'm fucking stupid. I don't give a fuck about jail. That's my business. That's what I do. I, I would give... Me and her father, Mikhail Davis, would give the same speech to the guy, the TV director, for the Little League World Series that his daughter, my goddaughter, Sidney Davis, would be in if she was playing for a team... Regardless of the position during the little league world series when she was 10 11 12 13 years old I would say let me tell you something man. I think you have the wrong impression about me I think in all fairness, I should tell you it is exactly it is what I do For instance, I'm gonna wake up in the morning and I'm gonna wish the most wonderful human being under the age of 52 good luck and I'm gonna go down to the Stadium tomorrow and I'm gonna watch my wonderful beautiful fabulous intelligent Amazing goddaughter play softball, baseball for this team. And if she makes a mistake, and I find out that you put the camera on her when she made that mistake to show the emotion of her making a mistake, I'll go there, I'll walk into that production studio, and I'll crack your fucking head wide wide open in front of everybody at the place. And just about the time I'm coming out of jail, hopefully you'll be coming out of your coma. And guess what? I'll split your fucking head wide open again, because that's my goddaughter, that's my heart, that's the reason why I'm still living. That's what I do. That's how I protect her. Protect her. So tomorrow, you go ahead, and she makes a mistake, and you try to put the camera on, and you try, you you try me, Fatso. You fucking try me. So that would be my and her father's kind of speech to the. Um, to the uh, television. Director. <laughs> anytime I can anytime I can go angry Joe Pesci, I got to take I got to take advantage. <laughs> but uh no, seriously, man, that's that's just the way it is in terms of hey, look, man, you know, well, ESPN what in 2013 they signed a contract, an eight-nine year contract extension through 2022, to where they're getting 60 million dollars, and they're paying 7.5 million dollars per year. How much money are these kids getting from that? The kids are your product, so the kids are the reason why you're paying this money. The kids are the reason why that you feel that the ratings are good enough or whatever, so you could make a profit doing this. So let me tell you something: the kids are the main deal. So how much money are the kids getting? Okay, if the kids aren't going to be getting any money, how much are the programs to where these kids are coming from playing baseball? How How much money are they getting how much money is their community getting how much money are their schools getting from this how much money is anybody from related associated with these baseball teams how much money are they getting out of this 60 million dollar deal that espn has how much money is these kids making from these interviews that they're doing man this is free fucking labor on 10 11 12 13 year olds And then you got the nerve, you got the temerity to go ahead and to do a broadcast like these guys are Major League Baseball players, like these guys are grown adults. That's exploitative. And I don't give a fuck what ESPN says where we try to minimize, you know, the shots of the kids being sad and this type of things. And, you know, we try to make it as playful and innocent as possible. I don't give how, I don't give a damn how many platitudes and how much, you know, fawning that Mendoza and Ravage and Kirchin and Perez and anybody else who does these teams, the Gandhi. I don't give a damn how much, you know... Uh, loads of praise and wonderfulness and happiness and joy, joy, happy, happy that they give on these kids. Man, leave these fucking kids alone and let them be fucking kids. This shit does not need to be televised. That shit does not need to be televised at all. If you wanna do the um championship game, all right, I'll acquiesce and go with that. But you know, we're speaking about man, they're showing these games In prime time, they're showing these games every single night, practically. I don't watch any of these games because, as I mentioned before, have no interest in watching 12, 13-year-olds play anything. You know, I want 12, 13-year-olds to have some fun, do their thing, and not worry about having a camera be on their face, man. This world is already too difficult to uh, navigate as a full-fledged adult. Now you're gonna throw it with social media and everything like that now you're gonna throw a camera in front of their face something as big and as impactful and important as e s p n you're gonna put that right there in front of this in front of their faces and uh, produce this for entertainment value for adults man go fuck yourselves on that one man go show a major league baseball game for God's sakes man do a thirty for thirty on something good in the world man but uh that's my that's my rant that's my raven for the Little League World Series, their kids. This is extremely, extremely important, not just for this country, not just for their generation. This is just important for the world. I wish we had an opportunity to send these kids from America and have them play baseball in the other team's uh, countries, on their other team's home soil. I think it would be awesome for these kids to play baseball in Japan, once the pandemic and everything else is over, I think it would be awesome for these kids from America and these other countries, Canada and such, to go to Taiwan, to go to the Philippines, to go to Japan, to go to these some of these uh, European countries, these beautiful European countries, these countries in Denmark or these cities in Denmark and Sweden and such, and have these kids be indoctrinated to even more uh, of uh, you know the world that's around us, and have them be educated, and have them meet people from even even a greater uh, region of this world. So, the, the 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 deal itself concerning the game itself, the, the competition. The, I got something that's all fine and dandy. That's all fine. in my bones. But, you know, I need my uh, I Make my me want shot. I see hallelujah. wanna In this world. That's that. Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, Brother Ray. Bring it down for me as I go ahead and mention that this is going to be the last segment of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you were entertained. I hope that you were amused. I hope that you learned something. I hope that you thought about something. I hope that I elicited some type of emotion in you to get you through through your day, get you through your flight, get you through your journey, whatever you're doing. I hope the, the time that you spent listening to wendell's world in sports and this goofball right here and wendell wallace talking about anything and everything pertaining to the world of sports nfl college football little league world series i hope in some way that you were entertained and thought of something and uh moving forward with your day of positivity love peace unity because that's what this world needs that's what your neighborhood needs that's what the people around you need listening learning education all of those things so yeah Wendell's World of Sports speaking sports talking sports going on about sports opinionated about sports passionate about sports but hopefully also to um, move you in a direction of positivity peace unity harmony love and understanding for others who are worth it Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us want to end this segment tonight. And I want to end the podcast tonight with a little college basketball talk. And um, I knew I wasn't going to be speaking. I told you before on a couple of podcasts ago that I wasn't going to be mentioning anything about basketball unless something like Ben Simmons was traded or there was something about Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard or something like that in terms of them making some real news. If it's not going to be something that's really impactful in basketball, NBA and such, that I really wasn't going to go ahead and mention that because the NBA is taking center stage, excuse me, the NFL is taking center stage along with college football, the start of the season already happening as I'm recording this podcast, but there was some news that hit from college basketball that I want to get into, that I want to talk about, because it pertains a little bit, in parallels with basketball and other collegiate sports, the two things that I'm most... Passionate about collegiate-wise As far as sports is concerned Is basketball or football I know if you speak of some other regions in this country You have sports, collegiate sports Like women's softball and women's volleyball And wrestling and track and field and such That are just as important Or near the importance of some of the other Well-known sports that are being shown Across, across the uh, country For college athletics And the Power 5, Power 6 conferences But in just breaking it down To just The revenue getters The top two revenue getters For college athletics Meaning basketball, football on a whole College football and basketball On a whole especially with college football Which strives to train for all college athletics There was some news Coming out of Memphis About this basketball program that I Thought about it and it was like, man, you know, this is not going to be moving forward. I mean, we're in a revolution right now. We're in a situation right now where college athletics is just changing. I know with name, image, and likeness and everything and all the freedoms that have been given to uh, athletes, student athletes, if you want to call them. But uh, this was just another example of moving forward. The way college athletics is moving forward. And if you pertain and if you speak in particular, the basketball. College basketball. I mean, this is a this is another move that not only is it going to uh, have impact on college basketball, but also NBA, professional basketball, and um, those entities moving forward. Memphis, the Memphis Tigers, coached by the living legend down there, Penny Hardaway, in his fourth year, going into his fourth year. Um, this past Wednesday, got himself a Bates. He Before got himself a Durant and then he reeled into Bates. Imani Bates, regarded as one of the top high school prospects in America, he chose to play bo- college basketball for Memphis. Chose the Tigers over Oregon, Michigan State, who he originally committed to in the G League Ignite team. He decided that he was going to go ahead for a couple of seasons because he reclassified from the class of 2022 to 2021 which doesn't make him eligible i believe for the nba draft for a couple of more years so for the next two years imani bates is going to be playing basketball for the memphis tigers now what's the big deal about that what's the woo woo about that what's the hey hey about that what's the news about that that i got to include that with the start of college and pro football starting for a few years imani bates was considered a transcendent player or prospect. I mean, this was gonna be the guy who was supposed to be, you know, we have these prospects coming out in high school basketball and high school football, high school athletics, that's supposed to be the one. LeBron James was the one. Bryce Harper was supposed to be the one. Chris Webber was, went back when he was a basketball player, high school basketball player at Country Day, he was considered the one. Andrew Wiggins was considered the one. And I mentioned before, I made the point before When it comes to basketball, when it comes to the NBA, now that we're starting to see a new wave of folks, now we're starting to see some of the old heads like LeBron James, that generation moving on. They're in their late 30s and such. Who are going to be the guys for this younger generation in the year 2026, the year 2028, the year 2032? Which basketball players right now are going to be the generation, one or two generations behind me and you? Which one... Of those players are going to be the player where the younger generation, you know, the the graduating high school, graduating class of 2036 and 2028, who are going to be their guys, who are going to be their heroes, who are going to be their role models, who are going to be the players that are going to say, man, yeah, Michael Jordan, please give me a break, man, those old guys didn't do jack shit back then, man, back in the day when Michael Jordan was playing, who cares, they couldn't do this, they couldn't do that, they only played against this, they only played against that, LeBron James, no big deal, he didn't do this, he didn't do that, my guy, forget about come fly with me, forget about Air Jordans and all that kind of stuff, my guy, my hero, the guy that I'm going to be passing along, my thoughts and, feelings and passionate feelings about as far as when I was growing up, who were my my heroes, it's going to be guys like, possibly, Imani Bates, he has that type of talent, he has the type of talent that, to be right there with Luka, to be right there with Giannis, to be right there with Zion, to be right there with Trey Young, to be right there with any of these guys that are coming into the league and right now building their brand, right now building their resume in terms of being all-time greats. Don't know about Trey Young. Don't know about Zion. But you know, we're speaking about the next generation coming in, the younger generation coming in. Who are they going to idolize? Who are they going to put on their wall as far as posters are concerned? Who are they going to be buying their sneakers? Who are going? To, what player are the younger generation going to want to have their uh, going to want to wear their number and buy their merchandise? Imani Bates is supposed to be one of those guys who has that who has that potential. I guess you could say that... Uh, let me see. He was. I guess he was been called everything. He's about 6'9". He's long. He's lanky. He's been called the next Kevin Durant. Hmm, okay, whatever. But he made history, speaking of Bates, winning the pre- uh, prestigious national award as a sophomore. He beat out future top five NBA draft picks, Cade Cunningham, who's also one of those guys who might be a generational great, and Evan Mobley to win the award. So he, as a sophomore... As far as winning awards is concerned in high school, he's already beating out at the time guys who were going to be future number one draft picks in a couple of years at the time, not guys who had to go to college for two or three years and hone their craft and improve their craft to get themselves into a position to be highly uh, thought after and, and number one and number three and number five draft picks. We're speaking about players recently and Cunningham and Mobley who were considered, you know, one and done, great prospects, top five lottery picks and such. As a sophomore, Bates was considered better or Bates won that award over those guys. So as I mentioned before, being called the next Kevin Durant, 6'9 wing from uh, upstate Michigan, committed to Michigan State last summer, but reopened his options in the spring. Everybody thought, that he was going to be going to the G League. Everybody, in fact, it's amazing that Oregon and Penny and those guys even got the intel that they should be somewhat interested in recruiting this guy because even when Tom Izzo, when he, when Bates decided and committed to Michigan State, I believe it was his sophomore year or early in his junior year, everybody... In terms of the grassroots of basketball and college basketball and such, they all scoffed because it's like, yeah, whatever, man. When the pill, when you know when a rubber hits the road, and the G League comes out with you know an opportunity for him to make a million dollars plus to go to the G League, just like the amount of uh, significant money that they made to Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, and we saw the success that those two had being drafted as highly as they did. That you know when when push comes to shove that Bates was going to go ahead and not go to college for go college and go to the G league. So it was interesting to see or hear or get the knowledge in terms of Imani Bates, who always said, no, you know what, wait, hey, man, I'm telling you right now, y'all who are sitting there talking about, I'm going to the G league. I'm going to the G league. I'm going to the G league. Don't bother recruiting me. I'm telling you right now, I haven't made up my mind. You know, I'm committed to Michigan state, but you know, I I'm, I'm really looking into playing college basketball. I want to play college basketball. And everybody scoffed. Well, guess what? For the next couple of seasons, I believe he's going to be playing basketball, college basketball, not overseas elite, not to any professional basketball leagues here in the, uh, divided, selfish, ignorant states of America, not in Australia, not in Lithuania, not anywhere else, not anywhere in Europe, not in China. He's going to be going ahead and play for Penny Hardaway at Michigan, excuse me, at uh, Memphis State. So, he averaged about 22 points per game in an AAU tournament this summer. The Nike Peach Jam, where all of the uh, you know best players in high school basketball played, was one of the top prospects on the court. I saw him play a game, I believe it was last year, 2020, um, against Chet Holmgren. His AAU basketball team was playing Holmgren's basketball team. Holmgren had a good game. Chet Holgram is the number one player rated in the 2021 uh, recruiting class, he's going to Gonzaga Many people feel that he's going to be the Number one pick in the NBA draft Guy who's about 6'11", feet tall Somewhere around there Can put the ball on the floor Can shoot some baskets Perimeter type of player Skinny as a rail But um, his skill set and his height That mixture Many people are bringing up comparisons to Christoph Porzingis mm. <laughs> mm. Hmm, interesting But uh, I I saw Holgrim play In fact, I saw Holgrim play When he was a a junior Out here in Vegas Where the AAU tournament uh, Was up here Because uh, for a little while He had Georgetown On his list of schools That he was considering So when that was going down And he took an unofficial visit To Georgetown I believe his sophomore year Lord knows I was going to get out To uh, Bishop Gorman The high school Where the AAU tournament was And take a look up close At uh, Chet Holgrim And see what he was all about He was skinny he was skilled, but Jalen Shrug's was the star of that game. You could tell as a senior, looking at him, he was like, yeah, man, amongst boys. But, um, yeah, so Holmgren and Amani Bates played on ESPN either Classic or ESPN2 last uh, season, and both played well, and both, you could see, were... Uh, you can understand why they were highly regarded prospects and uh, both put on a pretty good show. I believe that uh, Holmgren had the better of it, his team won. And um, you know, he was making some threes, some follow-up dunks, blocked some shots and everything. Bates was playing with a less talented team. He was scoring mainly upon uh, shooting perimeter jump shots. Uh, but um, you just saw, as a guy who was going into his junior year, you, you just saw what the uh, all the hype was about because of uh, his skill set already at such a young age, way, 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 way skinny, but uh, the 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 talent was there, and the skill set was there, remarkable for someone his age at the time, so yeah, I can understand the big deal and the uh, woo-wa-woos about Imani Bates, ever since the, you know, explosion of he's going to be the next one, he's the chosen one and all this kind of stuff, and he's going to be the next Kevin Durant. Calm down a little bit in terms of the comparison is concerned now he's just being compared as the next paul george okay there you go so uh, is he being compared to paul george or pay or playoff p i think he's being compared to paul george in that sense but uh you know great get for penny hardaway ESPN National Recruiting Director Paul Biancardi, what he said about Bates was, Bates is considered one of the most gifted offensive players in the game, agile and explosive with potential size and high-level shooting, make talent, uh, high-level shot-making talent from anywhere and has an elusive dribble and will be great in transition. Isolations, pull-up jumpers, spot-ups, threes, as well as playing out of side of of second side ball screen action so versatile offensive player what an nba scout told yahoo sports after watching him play this year was uh, imani has a natural feel for the game that you don't see a lot at this level his long frame his high release and his jump shot will definitely help him at the next level down the road in his career so here we go imani bates gonna be teaming up with uh, top five recruit Jalen Dur- Duran at the beginning of August, haven't seen Bates play in person. I did see him once again play a couple of times on television. I haven't seen Jalen Duran play either in person or on television. The only thing I've seen from him is um, YouTube clips. And when I take a look at the YouTube clips, Jalen Duran, interesting prospect, standing about six foot ten. Listed about listed about six foot ten. People say that he's probably closer to 6'8", eight than six ten. Go to YouTube, J A L E N D U R A N. Watch this guy play. Watch this guy highlights. He played for a Mount uh, Mount Verde, one of the top high school teams in the uh, high school level. One of these uh you know basketball making factories at the high school level. So uh watch him play. Watch the highlights of this guy and try to deduce exactly what what can this guy do besides dunk physically dominate and 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 do other things look at the competition that he's playing against or look at the look at the size of the players that he's playing against it's like a really good it's like a really good athletic grown man playing with his little sons out in the backyard i mean just physically he's just dominating him he's just backing in. they showed a couple of fadeaway jump shots from about eight feet ten feet and such but uh For the most part, it's like, man, I I really don't know how that skill set is going to translate from the highlights that I'm seeing because all he's doing is just overpowering little kids. So I wonder how that's going to translate when he jumps to college basketball and he plays for uh, Penny Hardaway and uh, Memphis. We'll see, but he's a top five player in this uh, year's class and he's supposed to be a lottery pick in in the NBA, so... You know, he chose Memphis, speaking of Durant, he chose Memphis over Miami, Kentucky, the NBA's G League, and the NBL in Australia. So we'll see what happens. Those two from Memphis are the stars of the recruiting class. They are the Denzel and the Morgan Freeman of this recruiting class. They are the Michael Douglas and the Tom Hanks of this recru- recruiting class that features four other bit players, four other p- prospects that are top 150 prospects. So for the second time in three years, penny hardaway who went from grassroots junior high basketball just helping out a friend when that friend passed away because of cancer he took over that team in junior high school then he moved up to the high school level and coached a couple of teams to uh uh, memphis area uh championship high school championships in that area and then he moved after tubby smith uh went to um high point he became the head coach of Memphis speaking about Hardaway and within four years going into his fourth year here in Memphis this is the second time that he's brought in a really good class which is number one in the country so far I don't know if there's any other recruits out there that can go to Duke or Kentucky for the class of 2021 that are going to usurp the uh, Tigers in terms of having the number one draft class so we'll see what happens we'll see what happens because we've been down this road with Hardaway before As I mentioned before, second time in three years, he's had the number one class, number one recruiting class in the country. In 2019, he had a seven prospect class that had two five stars, five four stars uh, recruits, and that's according to 24 7 recruiting. You remember the whole James Weissman deal, top recruit in the nation, presses, Achoya, top 15, Boogie Ellis who at one time after decommitting to Duke was considering Georgetown, damn it. He went uh, to Memphis, he was top 40. DJ Jeffries was a top 50 recruit. Leonard, uh, Lester Kionis, Malcolm Dandridge, Damian Ball, who was considering Georgetown, Damian Ball. But uh, all these guys decided that they were gonna go play for Memphis. For the 2019-2020 season And everybody was talking about Hey man you know what Memphis could be a dark horse To win the national championship And you know this is going to be a situation Where all right out the bat That Memphis is going to be one of the most talented teams In the country and you brought up comparisons And people were bringing up comparisons And discussions about this The new Fab Five with Weber and Jalen Rose And Jawan Howard and Jimmy King And Ray Jackson and those guys it's, Is this going to be similar? Is this class? Is this class of 2019 that Memphis brought in, are they going to have the same type of impact or the same type of success that the five that the Fab Five had their freshman year? All of them were supposed to be starting, so that was, I'm just mentioning all these things because that was the background, that was somewhat the unrealistic expectations, at the very least, with the class that those guys brought in for 2019, Memphis and those guys at the time, Mike Miller, former uh, NBA champion for the Miami Heat, white boy who could shoot, 6'7 guy. At the time, you know, at the very least, the Memphis Tigers were supposed to be at least top 15. Okay, you have some growing pains. All of these guys are young. They're going to have to get to know each other. But just, just, just based on talent alone, that these guys were supposed to be top 12, top 15 in the country, and they really got their act together, we could be looking at a team, as I mentioned before, could duplicate the success that the Fab Five had in Michigan back in the day. Well, now you could say that, hey, you know what, James Weissman only played three games, the top recruit in the nation, because of some bullshit that Memphis and Penny Harloway and the NCAA got themselves involved in. Weissman only played three games, showed off his skill, but after that was ineligible to play, and he decided to go ahead and leave the Memphis program and get himself ready for the NBA draft where he was the, I guess, what, the number two, number three pick of the uh, Golden State Warriors? Number two pick, Anthony Edwards with number one, Minnesota. Wiseman number two with the Warriors, and LaMelo Ball number three with the Charlotte Hornets. But, um, though, so, so Wiseman leaving the team and only playing three games really hurt the potential impact of success that the Memphis Tigers could have. So maybe you can use that as something when I speak about a team that was supposed to, at the very, very greatest, compete for a national championship, and at the very, very, very worst, at least be a middling NCAA playoff team, somewhere ranked between 14 and 25 in the country. That season, they finished 21 and 10 overall, 10 and 8 in the conference play, not in the Big 12, not in the Big 10, not in the Big East, not in the ACC, but in the AAC, where they don't play Duke, where they don't play North Carolina, where they don't play Syracuse, where they don't play Villanova, where they don't play Ohio State, where they don't play Michigan, where they don't play Texas, where they don't play Oklahoma, where they don't play Texas Tech, where they don't play these powerhouse teams, not in the SEC, where they don't play Auburn, where they don't play Alabama, where they don't play Kentucky, where they don't play these top 20 teams on a regular basis. In the AAC, where just based on talent alone, the team went 10 and 8 again. Give me Wiseman leaving, this is terrible, this is horrible. Still, with a recruiting class like that, Ochoya, Ellis, Jeffries, Quinones, Dandridge, Ball, and then some of the other players that were coming back from a team that finished well over five hundred, and the best that Penny could get out of them was 21-10 and 10 overall, 10-8, and eight, and a secondary conference, and them being on the bubble, outside looking in, in terms of being in the NCAAs when COVID hit, canceling the season so a team that was supposed to be vying for a championship a team that was supposed to be comparing themselves to the fab five are on the outside looking in of the ncaa tournament and couldn't even come in the upper tier of a secondary conference that they were in disappointing unacceptable inexcusable if you're t- petty hard i don't give a damn about what happened to jay's weisman Teams they lost to that year, SMU, Florida, South Florida, Tulsa, and Georgia. They were two and three against ranked teams that season with that talent. And they lost to Oregon, I think, with Wiseman playing. With that talent, that's the best that they can do? Interesting. So when people, again, are starting to talk about Penny Harlow, brought in this great class. He's got Imani Bates and Jalen Duran. And, you know, now we have to reconfigure what the top... Preseason top 10, top 15, top 20 are going to look like because now Memphis with this impactful player definitely has got to be up there. I don't know. I don't know because I don't know how great Penny Harloway can coach. Now, no, 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 don't get me wrong here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your truly Wendell Wallace. I'm not saying Penny Harloway should be fired. I'm not saying anything like that, but I'm Just interested here because now Penny Harloway is starting to recruit like John Calipari in Kentucky, like Mike Krzyzewski in Duke back in the day, but all of a sudden, but now, but but so far, he hasn't had the type of success with those recruiting classes that Coach K and Cheetah Perry had with their classes. Then that comes down to coaching. So I, I, I'm, before we just start, you know, dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas or dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie and, uh, you know, fe- folks down in Beale Street, you know, start doing the boogaloo and going over to the uh, Stax Museum and uh, start playing uh, some Otis Redding and some Carla Thomas and Rufus Thomas and Booker T and the MG hits to be dancing up and down McLemore Avenue let's calm down a little bit and just say, you know what, Penny, you're still in the stage where you have to prove it. Fourth year as a coach in college basketball, of course, he's not going to have the same success as a Krzyzewski or a Calipari or a Roy Williams or a Jay Wright or a Bill Self has. All of those guys at one point during their tenure, during their Hall of Fame college basketball coaching careers, faced a little adversity, even with the talent that they had, even if they had great talent that those guys didn't meet expectations in terms of what the talent was supposed to bring to them. So this is not a referendum for me to start saying Petty Hardaway needs to be fired. This is just me saying to the folks out there in Memphis, slow down a little bit on your, you know, Memphis, 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 Memphis. The city of Memphis, Tennessee is a huge, very passionate college basketball uh, city without question. So, just want to just calm them down a little bit and just kind of think about, you know, hey, man, you know, we, we have kind of been down this road before in terms of, man, we've got this great player coming in in Wiseman and, you know, he had that relationship with Penny Hardaway and he speaks highly of Penny and they come in and get a Choa and they get, come in and get Boogie Ellis, they sold him from Duke and all these type of things and DJ Jeffries and all this stuff. Two years later, the team that was supposed to be as a, as, as, as a as a freshman, that freshman class that was supposed to be impactful in terms of making their imprint in college basketball, winning tournament champions, winning conference championships, finishing, you know, in the upper echelon of the top twenty-five teams, making that move, making that groove, making those steps to become uh elite an elite college basketball program, not only did they disappoint and flame out their freshman year. Let's take a look at players from that recruiting class. Wiseman, Ochoa are now in the NBA. Boogie Ellis played two seasons and he transferred to USC. DJ Jeffries played two seasons and transferred to Mississippi State. Lester Quinones is the only one still in the program worth a damn from that recruiting class because he's averaging 10 points a game, averaged 10 points a game throughout his career, 10 points a game through last season. Malcolm Dandridge is still with the program, but he's averaging only four points and 12 minutes per game last season. And Damian Ball who I wanted to uh, desperately have play for Georgetown, he played two seasons with the program, and now he transferred to TCU. So at the very least, even if you lose Ochoa and Wiseman, or Wiseman, at the very least, you should have been able to do some more things than what the Memphis Tigers were doing with some of the leftovers from that historic recruiting class. I mean, Michigan, after Chris Weber left for the NBA, at least with Jalen Rose and Jawan Howard, they made the Sweet 16 the year after Weber left. Those guys are juniors before Howard and um, Jalen Rose went to the NBA. So far from Memphis, with this recruiting class, they haven't even gotten the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. Now, congratulations, hip hip array, you actually won the NIT. Fantastic, wonderful, way to go. But shouldn't we be doing more As far as the coach is concerned, when you've had this amount of time to work with these guys, I'm just saying, again, I'm not saying that Memphis should have taken this class and all of a sudden won championships and been up there at the top two or three seeds and all this. No, 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 no. But I'm just saying that it was a disappointment for what they did, again, kind of slowing the roll of the excitement and the enthusiasm of those when Imani Bates chose to play for Memphis, teaming up with Jalen Duran, Pretty thoughts of championships dancing through their head. This being an elite program. This being a basketball power for the next couple of years. Slow down on that. You got to show me. Penny Hardaway doesn't have the doesn't, doesn't doesn't have the forgiveness. Penny Hardaway. It's not at the point where, you know, with Mike Krzyzewski and John Calipari and those guys bringing in those guys, it's like, okay, yeah, we can go ahead and feel more confident in terms of what the expectations are and them reaching those high expectations because of the acumen, because of the brilliance, because of the uh, resume that those Hall of Fame coaches have. Penny hasn't gotten there yet. He hasn't developed those players yet. The 2020 recruiting class that I'm talking about for the Memphis Tigers here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with George truly, Wendell Wallace. The 2020 recruiting class for Memphis brought in one top 10 recruit, Musa Cisse, who, again, was thinking about going to Georgetown, but, you know, whatever. So this was a guy who was supposed to be a one-and-done lottery pick. For Memphis, under the tutelage and the guidance and the coaching of Penny Hardaway, averaged six points in 18 minutes per game. He's now transferred to Oklahoma State. Memphis record this past season 20 and 8 overall, 11 to 4 in the conference. Sounds pretty good, but when you can't beat anybody worth a damn, when you couldn't beat Houston, no shame in that because Houston was one of the elite basketball teams this past season, but because they couldn't get past Houston, they couldn't get themselves in the NI, in the NCAA NCAA tournament. And they won the NIT. So, you know, 2019 Memphis preseason ranked in the top 15 last season ranked in the top 30 and you still can't make the NCAA tournament underperformed expectations on the court and player development again here are Wendell's World of Sports the podcast yours truly Wendell Wallace speaking pontificating opinionating I'm not I'm not up here saying Hardaway needs to be fired man the 63 and 32 overall in his record at Memphis 32 and 19 in the secondary conference He's uh, beefed up his uh, coaching staff. Now he has Larry Brown, Hall of Famer, Larry Brown, NBA champion, Hall of Famer, NCAA champion, Larry Brown coaching the team, four-time all-star Rashid Wallace is back coaching. He's going to be uh, an assistant coach on the Memphis staff. Uh, Cody Tobert, who is renowned for player development work in the G League. He's still with the uh, squad to help develop players. Let's see what happens, man. Let's see where we go. Hardaway, the good point, he's won at least 20 games in each of his first three seasons. Bad news, he still failed to reach one single NCAA tournament. So, it'll be interesting to see where we're going with Memphis. I didn't want to make this really too much as we, you know, are in the final moments here of Wendell's World in the Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Didn't want to make it too much about Memphis, but when I just saw this and I kind of saw Imani Bates foregoing the uh, professional route, even the minor league route now that's available to uh, players, the impact of name, image, and likeness, it just shows to me, man, that college athletics, and as I mentioned before, focusing on what I focus on the most, most when it comes to college athletics, football and basketball, man, we're entering a brand new day. My generations and generations before aren't going to recognize what's going to be happening, man, as far as what we're going through. When I grew up, man, when I was talking about when I fell in love with Georgetown, when I fell in love with Maryland, when I fell in love with Len Bias, when I fell in love with those teams that were coached by Lefty Drizelle and those guys that were in the NCAA tournament with Drizelle, with Ben Coleman and 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 Kenny Gat- and, and, and Gatling and Gatling. And 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 those guys who played Mike Jeminski and Michael Corin for Duke and North Carolina and those guys and of course my love for the Georgetown Hoyas starting off with John Bebe Durin and Eric Sleepy Floyd and Craig Sky Shelton and Gene Smith and all those guys and the coast of course the impact that Coach Thompson had at Georgetown, amongst the uh, natives of Washington, D.C., the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, how much he was revered uh, by the community, especially the black community within that area. Lefty Drizel, the impact that he has at the the, uh, basketball coach at the University of Maryland, completely overshadowing the success that Bobby Ross had when he was the coach of the uh, football team at Maryland and got them really good seasons out of the football program. It really didn't matter because, you know, at that time, the huge, huge presence of Lefty Drizell, just his personality and his charisma alone, it was just awesome. I attended Lefty drizel's basketball camp when I was a youngster about three or four times to sleepover uh camps. And it was like those were the guys. John Lucas, those were the guys. Lem Bias, still my hero. Those were the guys. Adrian Branch, those were my guys. I mean we're speaking about those guys that time of being in love with college basketball Being in love with the sport of college basketball College football and stuff Those days now are gone the, 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 the situations and the reasonings And the time of the day that made me fall in love With that sport, with those sports Are now gone in that context You know, college coaches Back in those days Both when we're speaking about football and basketball they're like They were like father figures, man They were legendary father figures when you're speaking about, you know, the responsibilities that they played in, you know, helping a student athlete become a responsible, mature, productive, positive, shining example of a human being with a college degree after four years, at least three years, that type of thing. College coaches were almost required to become second fathers or father-like figures. In their life. That was one of the main things about the reason why those players, those great players, those five star players, those highly ranked players would want to go. To those schools, Yes, it was the fact that, hey, you know what, these guys can uh, get me into the uh, N- NFL and the NBA, all these type of things, but it was the opportunity to learn from those guys, to grow from those guys. It was the presence of their family members saying, look, we want you to go to that school and play for that coach because not only is he going to get you ready for the NFL or for the NBA, you're going to become a better man, you're going to become a better person, and if you stay long enough, you're going to get yourself a degree to get yourself a strong foundation for when... Football and basketball playing for those sports is no longer available to you. So you had Larry, legendary football and basketball coaches, man, like Eddie Robinson at Grambling and Joe Paterno at Penn State, Clarence Binkhouse Gates at Winston 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 Salem State. You had Willie Hayes at Ohio State. J- excuse me, John McClendon, John Wooden, Bobby Knight, Bud Wilkinson, Dean Smith, uh, Paul Paul Bear Bryant, John Cheney Tom Osborne, Coach Krzyzewski, my coach John Thompson, Ray Meyer of DePaul. All of these coaches were just bigger-than-life figures who, you know, did dream what to play for these guys. If you were a young guy, I mean, when I was growing up, my dream was to play for the L.A. Lakers because I loved Magic Johnson, but my ultimate dream was to play for John Thompson at Georgetown University or Lefty Drizell over at Maryland. That was the deal. And you had players who actually had the skill and the talent to be able to have that opportunity to play for a big house game, to play for a Woody Hayes, to play for a Coach K, to play for a Dean Smith, to play for a Joe Paterno, to play for an Eddie Robinson, to play for a Bob Knight. I mean, that was the deal. When you're in Indiana and you're a high school basketball star, yeah, playing for Bob Knight was the B's D's. This generation, that stuff is no longer, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Doesn't, doesn't uh, deal anymore. No one cares about that stuff anymore. Coaches well-renowned for their wisdom, their moral fiber and character, convictions that played a major role in the maturation and and the growth and development of their players, their people, as well as great athletes, that shit doesn't happen anymore. Players and the family members, the guardians, whoever, they don't give a damn about that shit anymore. John Wooden's pyramid of success, they don't care. John Thompson, when you walked into his uh, to his office, you had a basketball with no air in it because his message was don't let six inches of air control your life, that type of thing. Don't let the basketball control your life long-term. Players don't want to hear that now. And more importantly, parents don't want to hear that now. Guardians don't want to hear that now. You know, th- that stuff just doesn't resonate anymore. John Thompson, John Wooden, John Cheney, all these guys – If they had that same message that we fell in love with today, if they brought that to this generation, they ain't getting, they're not going to have the same success. Bear Bryant ain't going to have the same success. Tom Morris Osborne isn't going to have the same success. Why do you think coaches like Roy Williams is getting out of the business right now? Why do you think Coach K is going to go one more season and then that's it? Because now the idea of forming relationships, now the idea of trying to help young men mature people and all that kind of stuff, that shit no longer works. That shit's no longer a a, a big deal for these five-star, high-end, one-and-done, highly-rated basketball players and these, you know, highly-rated football players. Just, Just not happening anymore. So, you know, back when I was growing up, hey, man, you had, like, you know... Uh, Ralph Sampson and Patrick Ewing and Christian Laettner and Danny Manning and Tim Duncan, Grant Hill, David Robinson, Chris Mullen, Larry Johnson. I mean, all these guys, for the most part, some of these guys were I say when I was growing up. But, you know, for a, my generation and maybe for a generation afterwards, I mean, as I mentioned before, Ralph Sampson, three-time Player of the Year? That's not happening now. Ralph Sampson ain't going to be dominating college basketball. A player like Ralph Sampson ain't going to be dominating college basketball for four years. A player like Patrick Ewing, who dominated college basketball for four years, he ain't going to stick around anymore. Christian Leitner, who had already won a championship by what his sophomore or junior year, he's not sticking around. Danny Manning, who at 6'11 was considered, you know, the next. You know, generational great basketball player because at six eleven he could dribble, he could shoot, he could play point guard, or he could you know, do all these type of things. I mean, he wasn't he he wasn't going to be sticking around. A Danny Manning of the day, he ain't sticking around for four years. So you know, same thing with Tim Duncan, who could have left and could have been a number one pick after his sophomore year. He's not staying around a number two year, another two years of that's going to be the deal. So this is just a new way of college athletics and it brings me all the way back to Penny Hardaway in terms of hey look man Imani Bates if this was the generation of the 1980s or the 1990s somewhere around there do you really think Imani Bates and Jalen Duran are going to be playing for Penny Hardaway no of course not they're going to be playing for a Bill Self they're going to be playing for a Mike Krzyzewski they're going to be playing for a coach where it's kind of like I'm interested in forming a relationship their parents, their guardians, are going to be looking for a coach and looking for a program that's going to be garnering relationships to help them grow as human beings. That stuff really doesn't care right now. Penny Hardaway and Imani Bates developed this relationship because Imani Bates wants to get to the NBA as quickly as possible. I'm quite sure of the position, the style that he plays. is reminiscent to Penny Hardaway, so maybe he can get him, give him some insight that other college coaches can't. And with the name, image, and likeness, I'm quite sure that FedEx and others big businesses and boosters around that area made it plausible for him to ignore the million-dollar-plus offer that the G League and other professional leagues were going to be offering him. So this was strictly a business decision. Now, I wasn't privy to all of the reasons and conversations with Imani Bates and his folks and Jalen Duran and the people who made the decision for him, but I'm sorry, based on what Penny Harloway has done, you can't tell me that that was the main reason why those guys decided to go to Memphis. not saying that Penny Harloway is a bad guy or anything like that, but as I mentioned before, it falls flat in the face of what I knew college athletics to be when I was growing up and even into my 20s and such, where again, you had players who wanted to go to college to form relationships that's not happening anymore that's not going down anymore these student athletes athletes whatever you want to say it's all about them it's all about them it's all about them it's all about me and in a way it's not being selfish it's being prudent it's being doing the right thing because guess what coaches in college athletics they're looking after each other too they're they're looking after themselves first second and third While they have that five-star recruit, while they have that star quarterback, while they have that Heisman Trophy winning player on their team, yeah, they're all about, yeah, I want to uh, go ahead and form a relationship and do this, that, and the other. But, you know, once a better opportunity or situation comes around, they go ahead and take advantage of it. They at least look into it, and their excuse is always, hey, you know what, I got a family to feed, I got some, uh, you know, I got, you know, uh, opportunities, and I got to uh, take care of my family and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden now, the student athletes are able to do the same thing. So, I think it's great, man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's absolutely wonderful. So, we've had this evolution of great players that can only... save the um, basketball players because the football you still have to stay a couple of years before you're eligible for the nfl draft and of course it's a completely different sport due to the physicality and such to where an 18 year old probably wouldn't be a good idea quinn ewers or any of the uh, top uh, football players in high school all of a sudden start declaring themselves eligible for the nfl draft and expect them to make any type of impact at the age of 18 when you see how violent the game is of football you're playing against grown fully grown mature men and we're also speaking about 17 games in a season that wouldn't be prudent that wouldn't be a good idea for the NFL to really agree on high school players having the ability to come on in but still you're looking at uh, football players who you know to get ready for the NFL if I'm not starting by a certain amount of time I now have the opportunity to go ahead and get into the transfer fur portal and to go somewhere else and play immediately. So now you're having high school, excuse me, you're having college football programs, not just the bottom tier, not just the ones who are struggling. I'm talking about the Alabamas. I'm talking about the Clemsons. I'm talking about the Ohio States. I'm talking about the Texas A&Ms. I'm talking about the Texas. I'm talking about the Georgians. I'm talking about all those schools. All of a sudden now they're having some of those recruiters that are on their staff hey, we need to go ahead and take a look and see what's happening with the offensive guard over at uh, Tennessee. We need to find out what's happening with the running back over in Michigan State. We need to find out what's happening with the wide receiver and tight end over at um, at Georgia Tech or Wake Forest. Because if I hear any type of grumbling, if there's word through the grapevine that there might be some moaning and groaning, instead of going out and trying to get some recruit from high school who might, red shirt and take a while for him to get going, we can go ahead and start recruiting some of the disgruntled players from other teams who are, you know, who might be looking to transfer because they're not starting for day one or they feel that their coach is not using them correctly or they feel like their coach is hampering their opportunity and development to uh, get ready for the NFL. That's what it's become now in college football. It's almost like a second wave of recruiting. Before, you went ahead and you recruited the high schools, you recruited junior college. Now, you, can, now it, it, you, you almost have to. It's not being shady. It's not being underhanded. It's just the way it is now. That you have to go ahead and you have to start uh, recruiting players from other teams. You have to start calling high schools from where those kids were playing and say, has he gotten in contact with you? And uh, do you know if he's upset? Do you know, if he's uh homesick, do you know if he's not uh, doing well the, with the position coach? Do you know if he broke up with a girl and he doesn't want to be around her anymore? And he didn't want to be at the school anymore. I mean, what's up, what's happening? Because I need to know this Intel because my left guard is going to be graduating next year and I don't have anybody to come in and replace him. And he would be perfect. So, It's a new wave. It's a new uh, day in college football. And, you know, for me, I don't know if it could be for you, but for me, the acknowledgement or the news that Imani Bates is going to forego going to the pros and going to uh, Memphis, once again, just set off all of the thoughts and opinions about what is happening in college athletics, mainly college football and college basketball. And uh I just wanted to share those thoughts and feelings with you. So thank you very much for indulging. Thank you very much. I very much appreciate it. All right, man, that's it. I am done. I am out of here. Ah, feels good to have college football back on TV again. The college football season starting through all the chaos, through all the nonsense, through all the BS. It's always good to be speaking about sports. In terms of college football, the NFL right around the corner, my dis- yearly discussion about how the Little League and how it's um, the Little League World Series and how we exploit those kids a uh, yearly thing with me, got to get it off my chest and speaking about what's happening in college athletics, triggered by the news that Imani Bates is going to be playing that for. Not for Bill Self, not for Jay Wright, not for a championship winning coach or Hall of Fame coach or anything like that. He's going to take his talents to Memphis, Tennessee and play with Penny Hardaway. So interesting. All right. So I'm out of here. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Be good to your spouse. Try to see what you can do to just improve yourself just a little bit, even if you don't want to do something, learn something, read something, watch something. That can um, make you a better person For someone that you love Someone that you care about I'm going to get out of here with the ending of the great Ray Charles Brother Ray Whose uh, music I've been uh, bumping to And boogalooing to And funky Chicken two and to Kid And kidden playing to Throughout the breaks here So yeah I've got a woman way over town That's good to me My podcast is good to me You're good to me Life is good to me The Lord is good to me Good feelings is good to me So I'm out, I'm good, I'm gone. Wendell's world is sports. Brother Ray, Brother Ray Charles, get down and funky with it.